O Lord, help us to trust what you have said in Jesus Christ. Amen. Plausible deniability. Even if we don't know exactly what that means, it's a strategy we all use. When we are guilty of something, if there is a reasonable way for us to claim that we did not know that what we are doing is wrong or that a rule is being broken, we clutch onto that excuse, hoping it will exonerate us from all accountability. We see this happen in business when a manager claims not to know what their employees were up to. We see it in politics when an elected official claims that they did not know that their campaign donations were coming from a shady character. We see it in relationships. Oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to tell anyone that thing that you told me. We see it in parenting. When one sibling hears a rule spoken by the parent, but then says that they didn't realize that that rule also applied to them. Plausible deniability is a favorite strategy for doing whatever we want and then trying to explain it away. On this first Sunday in Lent, the readings show us the dangers of plausible deniability when it comes to faith. And there's a refrain that runs throughout today's readings. Did God really say that? When we have heard the word of God and our response is, did I really hear that? Well, then we get into a lot of trouble. The first example of plausible deniability in scripture comes in the passage that we heard from Genesis. God has blessed Adam and Eve with all they need to thrive in the Garden of Eden. But as with all blessings, there is a boundary to maintain. If you eat of this particular tree, you will die. It's not a threat. It's a boundary. With the knowledge of good and evil comes the reality of death. But plausible deniability is introduced by the serpent. Did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? God's provision is perverted into a prohibition. Now notice a couple of things about what happens here. First, Eve's response. Is God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. God didn't say that, though. God said nothing about touching the fruit, only eating it. And before we blame Eve for this, she had not yet been created in Genesis 2 when this boundary was given to Adam. So it very well may be that Adam is the one to blame for this. The issue, though, is that God's commandment has been made stricter, turned into legalism. How much trouble we get in when we apply plausible deniability to our faith and say things like, well, I'm sure this is what God really meant. The bigger issue, though, is how the whole scene unfolds. Here are Adam, Eve, and the serpent. We might call them the first theologians, sitting around talking about God instead of talking with God. At this point in Genesis, God and the humans are in fairly regular conversation with one another. But they turn to God and ask, oh God, remind us, what was it that you told us about this tree? No, instead they misremember what God said. And then because they were speaking with the serpent instead of with God, they are given plausible deniability. 
Well, the serpent told us it was okay to eat from the tree. In Lent, we often talk about the importance of prayer and reading scripture. Now, the church does not recommend these things to you to help you with your temper or to make you holier or anything like that. No, we focus on spiritual disciplines to be with God in a world that is so busy and distracting. We drop that excuse of plausible deniability by listening for God's word in scripture and in prayer. And if you're interested in learning more about prayer, you're in luck. We have a class on prayer on Sundays and Wednesdays in Lent. But it's about spending time with God so that we are never tempted to ask, did God really say that? As a result of their disobedience, Adam and Eve are no longer fit to remain in Eden, and so they are banished and sent into the wilderness to make a new home. And it is in this wilderness created by sin where we find Jesus in the text from Matthew this morning, where again, there is a temptation to claim plausible deniability. It was the serpent in Genesis. Here it is a character that is referred to by three different names in Matthew. The diabolical one, which translates to the slanderer, someone who tells lies. The tempter and the Satan, which translates to the accuser. And the reason why it is helpful to think of the devil in terms of a being is that is how we experience and struggle with evil. Evil is not a thought experiment that happens only on paper or in simulations. No, evil is real. It looks like abuse, war, childhood hunger, greed, lying, stealing. Evil is something that we experience personally. It hurts just as much as physical pain. This is why we can feel physically grief or betrayal. And because evil is experienced personally, it is described as a person, lest we think of evil as something imaginary, intangible, or abstract. And there are three temptations offered by this devil about food for someone who is starving, about trusting in God to protect us, and about having the power to usher in the kingdom of justice and peace over the earth. And to be clear, none of these suggestions made by the devil are bad or unholy. The devil even gives us scriptural support for each one of them, which is a reminder to us that scripture can be misread and misapplied. We can twist scripture to be on our side rather easily. But the more important question is whether or not we are on God's side of things. The substance of these temptations is not the problem. It's the motivation. Because they all revolve around the dangers of plausible deniability by asking a seemingly innocent question about what God has said. Now what happened just before Jesus' time in the wilderness was his baptism an event at which the voice of the Father proclaimed, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, the devil's first line of attack is an assault on that truth. By saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, he is saying, did God really call you his Son? Are you sure you weren't just hearing things? 
Maybe you misunderstood it. It's a temptation to try to prove that which needs no proof. When we forget that our identity is secure in the love of God, a lot of bad things happen when we try to search for our identity and value in other places. The next temptation about testing God to see if Jesus would be spared from a trust fall from the pinnacle of the temple distorts our relationship with God. It is introduced by that question of plausible deniability. Didn't God say that you wouldn't even dash your foot against a stone? It's the temptation to have the license to do whatever we want. Didn't God say, be fruitful and multiply? So why be faithful in your marriage? Didn't God bless you with wealth? Well, that's for you to enjoy. You don't need to share that with anyone. Didn't God promise to forgive us? So why not throw caution to the wind and live it up? It's a question of whether or not we use God as a tool to serve our needs and justify our desires, or are we servants of God with a mission to give and minister to a world in need? If somehow, whenever we ask that question, did God really say that, we always get the answer that we want to hear? Well, that's a clue that we might be seeking plausible deniability more than faithful obedience. The third temptation is about earthly power. And isn't it interesting that the devil claims ownership of all the kingdoms of the earth? That should tell us something about how little faith we should be putting in human institutions whether they be denominations, corporations, or governments. But it's a temptation about our impatience mixed with plausible deniability. Didn't God say that all things will be redeemed? Wouldn't it be easier if I just sped things up for you a little bit? Just worship me, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. After all, isn't that what God would really want? Jesus counters these temptations of plausible deniability in the wilderness because he has a clear relationship with God. Jesus is not thinking about God. He knows God. And by overcoming the temptation to sin, he defeats sin and paves the way for us that leads out of the wilderness of sin back to the garden of God's grace and love. We heard St. Paul reflect on this this morning in the reading from Romans. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. But we doubt this, and religion is often misused to plant those seeds of plausible deniability. Does God really love you? Are you really forgiven for that thing you did? You know, that thing? Did God really say it's more blessed to give than to receive? Did Jesus really say, this is my body given for you? And when we doubt that the answer to those questions is a resounding and grace-filled yes, we create so many problems when we try to self-justify. We clamor over titles, we amass wealth, we obsess about our reputation, all of which just makes us even more anxious and uncertain about our standing. We have been told that we are justified, forgiven, and loved. And when we doubt that, 
or when we turn religion into more hoops to jump through to prove our salvation, our worthiness, then the plausibility, the plausible deniability of the evil one has ensnared us. Now, as I have mentioned in sermons a couple times over the last few months, one of the struggles that we are facing today is that we live in a world that has been disenchanted, a world that has no room for the divine or the spiritual, because everything is about what we can prove. Things do not have deeper meanings. Rather, things mean what we say that they mean. So instead of trusting the truth, we have to discover the truth and make our own truth. And the temptation of plausible deniability for us is the simple question. Did God say anything at all? Isn't religion just a coping mechanism? Isn't it just superstitious beliefs from a bygone era? Isn't religion the cause of all of the world's problems? Our culture invites and influences us to deny that God has said anything at all, making it plausible to claim that we have no need of God. And one look around the world and we can see how that's working out. When we turn away from God to justify ourselves, we should not be surprised to learn of a growing wealth gap, increasing depression rates, more anger and disrespect in our public discourse, more tribalism. In a world in which the, en the enchanting love of God has become plausibly deniable, so too have the ideas of peace, mercy, and humility slipped away from us. One of the things that we, as people of faith, must proclaim is that we have heard God speak. And it is a word of hope and a word of love. You know, it's interesting that the temptations, both in Matthew and Genesis, revolve around food, the fruit and the bread. And those temptations are still with us today. The fruit that allows us to be our own God and the bread of our own self-sufficiency. But the church has been given a gift from God, a different food to offer, the body and blood of Jesus in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. In receiving this grace of God, all plausible deniability is erased as we receive these sacred tokens of God's very real and saving grace. So come and eat, not because you've got it all sorted out, but because you are struggling. Come, not because you are full, but because you are hungry. Come, not because you understand all of this, but because you are understood by the one who made you. Come, not because you have earned a place at this table, but because Jesus has said that you are invited. Come because there is no denying what you are, the beloved of God.